everyone. I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, a testimony of your story for His glory. He is a nationally acclaimed speaker, writer, and author of several books, including Seven Keys to Hearing God's Voice, his award-winning I Am Cyrus, Harry S. Truman and the Rebirth of Israel, for which testimony had the honor of covering, and more recently, Forward, The Leadership Principles of Ulysses S. Grant, and now, as a follow-up, his latest just-released, Victor, The Final Battle of Ulysses S. Grant, my next guest brilliantly chronicles the life and legacy of one of the nation's greatest generals on the battlefield and off, serving two terms as president, and yet the last two years of his remarkable life is the story we will hear today. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome back to Testimony a real encourager of the heart and soul for whom famed author Jerry Jenkins of the iconic Left Behind series quoted his favorite historical writer, end quote. And this, just for starters, please welcome an honor indeed, Dr. Craig Von Buzek. Craig, welcome to Testimony. Oh, thank you, Genzine. It is my pleasure to be with you today. Well, it's great to have you here, sir. Uh, first of all, the cover alone of your latest great read, Victor, is enough to get anyone's attention and should, but what's inside is even more extraordinary as acclaimed historian and multiple testimony guest William J. Federer will attest, and I'd like to read his endorsement for our listeners of your wonderful read, and I quote verbatim, Victor, the final battle of Ulysses S. Grant by Dr. Craig Von Buzek is a classic, captivating and insightful. The reader is immediately swept into the world-taking shape after the Civil War. The author masterfully brings to life not only the courageous general who saved the Union and ended slavery, but also a president dedicated to eliminating racial discrimination. The reader will gain new appreciation for someone who changed American politics forever and will get to know a caring husband and father who is inspired by a deep faith. I highly recommend this profound and insightful work, end quote. That said, Dr. Craig Von Buzek, let's get right to it. <laughs> well, thank you. That is a wonderful quote. I appreciate that. And I loved reading it for our listeners. Craig, in visualizing the elements of General Grant's life as you so beautifully deliver in your latest must-read, Victor, I immediately see a movie, a fabulous horseman, the love of his life, a world tour and the many adventures, a life of wealth, success, battles fought and won, a titan in politics and military, and words throughout to describe this larger-than-life historical figure, namely loyalty, heroism, integrity, humility, and yet it is the final two years of his life you have chosen to focus upon. Can you explain? 
Well, that, that is a, a wonderfully uh, astute observation of the life of Ulysses S. Grant. I would also add to that uh, a frail, fragile person who uh, failed magnificently um, <laughs> in his life, uh, and yet one of the reasons that he's a role model, or I believe that he's a role model for us today, is the fact that he didn't stay down. Uh, he could have stayed down and we would not be talking about him today, but he recognized that there was inside of him a very special character. And so after his mistakes, after his failures, he continued to move forward, which is the name of my other book about him, which is his leadership principles, because he wouldn't stay down. Um, and part of the reason that he uh, had those character aspects were that he was raised by a godly Methodist mother who raised him in biblical principles, and he was raised by an abolitionist father uh, who was a, a really great businessman. Now, uh, Grant did not inherit <laughs> the business acumen from his father. Grant was a terrible businessman, but Grant was a great leader. And one of the other things is, is that Grant recognized where his strengths were, and he followed in his strengths, and uh, he did not go into the areas where he didn't have strengths. So there's so many things about Grant uh, that are admirable, but also, you know, I think there's a wonderful lesson to see, um, you know, just like all of us, he had his uh, failures, but he kept going through his, you know, he had a wonderful marriage to a wonderful lady named Julia Grant. She was an interesting character for sure, uh, but she was wonderful and very faithful, and they had a true love affair. He had a faith in God that was strong and deep, and he had this amazing character uh, where he did not see himself as better than anyone else. He was very diplomatic in his interaction with people, but he did recognize the gifts that God gave him, and he maximized those to success, not only for him and his family, but really for our entire country. Amen and amen, and I absolutely loved reading your book, Victor, The Final Battle of Ulysses S. Grant. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to its author, Dr. Craig Von Buzik. Craig, Grant was not an abolitionist before the Civil War, but he became one as the war progressed. Why was that? I think that what Grant saw, see, Grant married into a slaveholding family. His wife, Julia, was part of a family that owned several slaves, and they had a plantation in St. Louis. And um, so Grant had this kind of uh, cultural um shock as he came from an abolitionist family, but there was so much love between he and Julia that he kind of just worked through that. And at one point after Grant uh, left the army in the 1850s and came back to St. Louis, his father-in-law gave him a large tract of land and actually gave him a slave to help him uh, farm that land. And, um, most people would, in, in slavery times, would have the slave do the work. But Grant worked side by side with the slave, actually gaining derision from the neighbors who said, you shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. But he didn't. He wasn't raised to just sit on the porch and watch everybody else work. So he went to work with that slave. And during that uh, the 1850s, the country was being ripped apart 
And uh, Grant recognized that slavery was the cause. And he started to realize that it was a cancer that would kill the country if it wasn't dealt with. And so at the worst time, because people, uh, people often say that Grant was a failure as a farmer. It's not really the truth. He was a very hard worker and he did his diligence just like any other farmer. But there was a massive uh, national depression that hit while he was a farmer. And just like the Great Depression in the 1930s, the farmers were devastated by this. And so Grant, like all the other farmers, really uh, had difficulty. In the end, he had to quit farming. Um, so he was trying to decide what to do, and he really uh, was in financial straits. But during that time of financial difficulty, he set his slave free. He could have sold that slave for $1,000, which in the 1850s would be like 15000 or maybe $20,000 now. And, and that would have helped him survive. But he recognized that slavery was an evil and it was a cancer. Not long after that, he moved north and worked for his father because he saw that the Civil War was coming and that his training at West Point would be needed. And sure enough, it was. And immediately going into the Union Army, he said, um, I now recognize that slavery must be abolished. And that just grew over the years. And then when Lincoln died, uh, Grant was the one more than anyone else to carry that whole flag of abolition and of the you know restoration and reformation of the country during Reconstruction. Ladies and gentlemen, again, you're listening to Dr. Craig Von Buzek, his latest must-read, Victor, which leads into my next question. Grant was responsible for signing the Civil Rights Act of 1875, which later was overturned by the Supreme Court. That brought a dark period for both Ulysses S. Grant and for America. Can you elaborate? You know, Reconstruction uh, was really an amazing period in our country's history where the gains of the Union Army during the Civil War to defeat the Confederacy and to destroy slavery were put into practice. Uh, with the freed slaves, uh, where they, you know, tried to bring training, they tried to bring equality. And so Grant was a very strong proponent, proponent of all these different Reconstruction Acts, including the Anti-KKK Act. People don't realize that Ulysses S. Grant basically snuffed out the KKK for the next 25 years after his presidency, both from a military standpoint in enforcing the laws throughout the South, but also he instructed his attorney general to go after the KKK. And that, uh, under the Grant administration, was the development of what we now know as the Department of Justice. And their first target was the KKK. And so it was such a tragedy that, uh, you know, Grant pushed through this Civil Rights Act. And there were many people on in the Congress that worked with him to push that through. And when that act passed, Grant walked as a symbol, he walked from the White House to Capitol Hill to sign that Civil Rights Act. And it had so many of the provisions that got struck down, like equal access on public transportation and in bathrooms and in lunch counters and in schools. Just think if it would have been upheld and, and we could have possibly avoided 80 plus years of Jim Crow racism, but sadly it was not. And um, so 
in writing his memoirs in the last two years of his life, as he's dying of cancer, one of the things that he did was confront this, what was called the Lost Cause School of Southern and ex-Confederate historians and writers to say, no, the war, you know, they would say the war was not about slavery. It was about state rights and it was about tariffs. And he said, no, the war, like you said, your own people said it's about slavery. The vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Stevens, only a few weeks after firing on Fort Sumter, he made a speech that we all know now as the cornerstone speech, where he said, our new country is based on the cornerstone of slavery. You can't get away from their very words. And Grant confronted it, and sadly, um, the country went a negative way, and it wasn't restored until the Civil Rights Act of 1864, which was a very similar act. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Dr. Craig Von Buzek, his latest must-read, Victor, the Final Battle of Ulysses S. Grant. Craig, I am just loving our interview here today. Next question. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, I want to talk about how Ulysses S. Grant was defrauded. You alluded to earlier he was a terrible businessman. He lost everything. His family lost everything. Um, he got into a deal he never should have gotten into. Can you expand upon that and just how he got out of it? Well, let me, let me clarify something that you said there. I don't know that he shouldn't have got into the deal. He was deceived. This person that, that he got into the deal with was a total fraud. And uh, this person was named uh, Ferdinand Ward. And in the beginning, everybody called him the young Napoleon of Wall Street because everybody thought he was this financial wizard. And so both uh, Ulysses Grant and his son, Buck, Ulysses Jr., were beguiled by this person. And so they entered into this business partnership in good faith, thinking that they were starting a legitimate Wall Street investment firm. But the whole time, Ferdinand Ward was running what we would call a Ponzi scheme. He was the Bernie Madoff of the 1880s. And sadly, you know, Grant thought that he was worth more than a million dollars after the first year, year and a half of being in business, whereas the whole time there was no investing going on at all. It was just robbing Peter to pay Paul. And so after two years, uh, the whole house of cards collapsed, and overnight Grant went from thinking he was worth a million dollars to having exactly $80 in his pocket. And so all of his children had invested all of their life savings. He had in, uh, encouraged other soldiers and other officers to invest. His extended family invested. And it, this, this thing rocked Wall Street for many months and even years to come. And uh, at first, you know, the federal government thought that Grant and his son were also guilty. But after a thorough investigation, it was it was made clear that they were just as deceived as anyone else. So Ferdinand Ward went to prison for many, many years. And then Grant is left with nothing. And only a few months after this massive crash, uh, he is diagnosed with incurable throat cancer. So now he has no money. And he's dying and he's thinking, what am I going to do for my wife? You know, how is she going to survive after I'm gone? And so many people, including his good friend, Mark Twain, had asked him to write his memoirs. He never wanted to do it before. But now he realized that this was a way where he could restore his family's fortune. 
And so in incredible pain for that last year of his life, almost every day that he could, some days he couldn't because he was too weak, but every day that he could, he was writing with a pencil and a yellow legal pad, his personal memoirs. When he got too weak, they actually brought in a stenographer and uh, he would dictate in a whisper to this stenographer. He finished the book four days before he died. So he literally gave the last year of his life. When most people would be in bed under narcotics, uh, taking morphine, he did not. He only took uh, cocaine water they sprayed in his throat, and he lived in tremendous pain during the day so he could keep his mind clear to write the book. He would take some morphine at night, but it was such a labor of love. He died, and his funeral had 1.5 million people, still the largest funeral in the history of the United States, even bigger than Abraham Lincoln's funeral in New York City. And uh, the book, Mark Twain became his publisher. He published the book later that year, and in the end, it ended up making for Julia Grant $450,000, which in today's money would be more than $10 million. So in this final labor of love, Ulysses S. Grant secured the future for his wife and his children restored their future, re- restored his reputation, but he also went against the uh, lost cause lies and uh, the Jim Crow, the rising Jim Crow racism in America. So he truly is an amazing figure that we should honor and uh, respect in our day as well. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Dr. Craig Von Buzek, his latest must-read, Victor. Uh, Craig, I so loved reading this book, and as I said earlier, like watching a movie the way you write. Now, you also talk about Victor is a love story, the amazing relationship between he and his wife, Julia. He used to read to her every night, but as his illness uh, took precedence, she began to read to him, and the whole family came around. He never gave up, as you said, and what a love story and an example. His focus was not himself. His focus was others and his family, and God surrounded him with people that he would need to finish the task of writing because in my reading of your book, Victor, he was not a writer. In fact, his first uh, writing uh, was terrible. It was like a battle plan. <laughs> there was no emotion. There was nothing personal in it because he was so used to being this tough general who didn't wear his heart on his sleeve. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that's so great about Grant, and another example for all of us, is that you're right. In the beginning, his writing was like reading a report of a battle. You know, the, anybody who's ever been an officer in the military knows that you have to write these reports, and they're often quite dry. And so that was all he knew. And so, fortunately, the editor for a magazine that he was writing for, uh, which was called the Century Magazine, which would be similar to, like, Life Magazine today, um, he went back to Grant and he said, listen, this is interesting, but our readers are wanting to know how you were feeling. What were you thinking? What was going on around you that you could see? Describe to us what was going on. And that editor, uh, Robert Underwood Johnson, really uh, was like a, a tutor. And uh, Grant's son, Fred, said that uh, Ulysses Grant looked at uh, Johnson as his, basically like his writing professor. But the thing about Grant is that he learned. 
And then all of a sudden his writing became very good. And so uh, when you read the personal memoirs of U.S. Grant, which I've done three times, it is it is wonderful reading. I love it. It's, uh, you know, even though it's, it's military history in some ways, um, he really does uh, take you to those places. So he grew in that. But I also want to talk about what you mentioned about the love story between he and Julia. They were like, almost like, uh, you know, teenagers. When uh, she would come to visit him, in the battlefield, he would have his headquarters and they would be like sitting in the mess tent over in a corner, holding hands, uh, like, like teenagers. And they were, they were in their forties, you know, and, uh, you know, people would come in and they would be like embarrassed. Like they, their face would turn red, like they got caught. (laughs) And, um, they just had this wonderful relationship where they helped each other, where they encouraged each other and where they looked out for each other. And uh, they also had a really wonderful family. The children um, were very supportive, and they were, you know, family like anybody else. They had their issues. But overall, they really were a very tight-knit family, a very loving family. And I just want to tell one quick story that's really touching to me. Yes. Um, Julia had really strong strabismus, crossed eyes. And when Grant had, uh, you know, he just kept winning battle after battle after battle and moving up the ladder in the estimation of President Lincoln and other leaders. And finally, he was named Lieutenant General, which was the rank of that was last held by George Washington. No one else in the Union Army was given this rank. And so Ulysses went to the White House with Fred, his son, to receive this amazing promotion. And Julia had to take care of the kids who were in school, so she couldn't come. So she came to Washington a a week later or or so, and she met with her husband and told him that she had went to see the doctor to see if she could have eye surgery to uh, fix her strabismus. Now, this doctor had been trying to get her to have this surgery for 20 years, and she was always afraid to do it. But now, because her husband was moving into this position of prominence, she felt like she needed to go have this work done. Well, sadly, the doctor said, it's too late, you're too old. And when she told Grant, Grant pulled her to himself and said, why would you do this? And she said, well, you know, I, I, I wanted to do it for you. And he said, listen, the eyes you have are the eyes that I fell in love with. And I don't want you making any changes because I might not like them as much as I like them now. And that is just a wonderful story of looking at this relationship that these two people had and the love that they had. It's really a wonderful, wonderful love story. I absolutely love that. I was going to just ask you about that, and you've already answered that. Ladies and gentlemen, again, you're listening to Dr. Craig Von Buzek, his latest must-read, Victor, The Final Battle of Ulysses S. Grant. How did Grant's faith sustain him, Craig, in this difficult time? Well, it's interesting because Grant, you know, some people called him the Sphinx. You know, because he did not talk a lot. He listened a lot, but he didn't talk a lot. And so while he attended Sunday services nearly every Sunday, uh, he didn't talk a lot about his faith. And so there are some who think that it was not a very deep faith. But when you look at uh, some of the things he did say about his faith, you realize this man had a deep well. So, for example, uh, the opening statement of Grant's personal memoirs, he quoted 
the great Christian theologian from the Middle Ages, Thomas Aquinas, where he said, man proposes, but God disposes. In other words, he was saying there are very few things in life. We can make our plans, as the Bible says, but God directs our steps. That was the very first thing that he wrote in his memoirs. And that says to me that he recognized the providence of God in his life. And later, uh, or earlier when he was president, he was asked to make a statement uh, to the National Sunday School League, and he spoke about honoring the Bible, for it is the principles of the Bible that have, have formed all the great civilizations in the world. I mean, you don't make statements like that unless you are truly a believer. And so um, it was a deep well. And he and his wife always uh, were very faithful to church. He was a giver. He would give to the poor when he was in church. There are, his secretary of state said, I've seen him give to causes, and I thought, you're giving way more than you should give. <laughs> but that was Grant. He was very generous, and he had a very big heart. He had been very poor, and so he knew what that was like. So in times when he was wealthy, uh, he gave quite generously to to the poor, and all of that came, again, from the training of his Methodist mother. And then the other thing that I discovered, uh, which I, did, I never saw in the literature, but I discovered it, and one of the things as a, a historical writer, one of the things I, I do is I go to a lot of these places. I actually have a, a page on my website, bombuzik.com, where I list many of the historical sites and museums and battlefields that I went, and I have links so people can go and check out these different sites. But um, I went to his birthplace at Point Pleasant, Ohio, on the banks of the Ohio River, not far from Cincinnati. And in the back uh, behind the house, there was a plaque that was put there by the Huguenot movement. And for those who don't know, the Huguenots were the Protestants in France that stood up for the Bible and stood up for the Word of God uh, in France. And sadly, they were terribly persecuted, but several of them made it to America and were able to survive in our free country with freedom of religion. And so inside the house, it had a wall hanging that had several of Grant's Huguenot ancestors, as well as his Methodist ancestors. So there is great uh, biblical strength on both sides and in both traditions, and that was passed down to Grant, and he lived that out in his life. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to award-winning author, speaker, writer, encourager, and more, Dr. Craig Von Buzek, whose latest just released, Victor, The Final Battle of Ulysses S. Grant, is a must-read. You can learn more about Dr. Von Buzek's work, ministry, and mission by visiting vonbuzek.com. That's V-O-N-B-U-S-E-C-K.com. And and inspiration.org and get his book, Get Informed. You will be blessed and thrilled that you did. Dr. Von Buzik, Craig, if I may, thank you for sharing your incredible gift to write, encourage, and teach us all the value of honoring our historical figures and the real truth behind their exploits in life and in the Lord Victor, the final battle of Ulysses S. Grant is one such story and powerfully so beautiful, life-giving and God-redeeming. We thank you and God bless you.
Well, thank you, Genzine. It's always a pleasure to be with you. God bless you, too. Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Genzine Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensinebard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensine Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. Testimony.